Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Have you ever gotten in a fight with someone that um, he looked back on and thought that was kind of ridiculous? You know what I'm talking about, like little, little fights, maybe with a spouse member or with a spouse or with a family member or a friend or something like that, right? Um, my wife and I, whenever we first got married, we were students at Oklahoma Baptist University, the real OBU, as I like to say. Um, we were students there and we had an, an apartment on campus and man, we didn't have much at all. We were poor college students, part-time jobs, trying to get through school. And so we didn't have much, like a, like a nice meal for us was some blue and gold chicken strips with like a 99 cent box of stovetop stuffing. You know what I'm talking about? College students, you know what I'm talking about, right? Blessed are the poor, right? And so that's where we were. And um, I remember one time I came home from work or school or something, and it was that evening, and my wife was in the kitchen and, and she, she was upset about something. And I said, what's wrong? And she goes, I think someone broke in here and stole all of our ramen noodles. And she was serious. <laughs> and I was like, babe, like, that's crazy. Obviously, like, they're going to walk into our tiny little apartment and uh, pass over everything. And, and they wanted ramen noodles. That's, that's ridiculous. And, and so that was maybe, maybe our first fight, you know, that I wasn't supportive enough uh, for, for her in that moment. But, but we've had those We've had those moments, right? If you're, if you're married, you probably know what I'm talking about. Little goofy little fights that you look back on and you're like, that, that was kind of goofy. Like, let's be honest, that was, that was goofy. But in the moment, man, you're ready to go to war, you know? You're ready to go to war and you're holding your ground and you're not talking to each other for a day or two. You're like passing each other in the, in the halls of your house like Wild West Cowboys, you know, just like sizing each other up. That's, uh, that's happened to all of us. But so, so we've experienced that, but I think we've also probably seen how just it seems like today, man, everybody's just on edge. Everybody's just ready to debate or fight. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just get on social media for about three seconds and everybody has an issue. There's, there's hundreds of issues and, and everybody's got an opinion on it. Everybody has their issue. And the, what's crazy about it is they'll get mad at you if you're not mad with them about the thing that makes them mad. You know, we've seen it with politics, we've seen it with the vaccine, with masks, with the, the virus, with all different kinds of things. We've seen it, everybody has an issue and everybody thinks I'm right and you're wrong. And some people just seem to be angry and have something to fight about, even Christians, right? That there's just this angst or anger and, and just a bent towards wanting to fight. And, and I don't think that's pleasing to God. Right? I don't think it's pleasing to God because uh, if, we, if we ask ourselves, how effective is all the fighting? How effective is it? Like, is it, is it bringing you any more joy in your home? Is it making you and your family happier? Is, is it drawing others to Christ? No. <laughs> no, it is not. And so we're talking this morning about fighting. And um, I'll just be honest with you. I don't know of any tension points within the second family. I really don't. Uh, throughout this series, I've seen some cool moments of, of some relationships uh, being mended and things like that uh, uh, through this series of Philippians. But right now, this morning, 
I don't know of any fights. So it's a perfect time to talk about dealing with fights within the family, all right, within the, within the church. So that's what we're talking about this morning, that, that conflict will come up because we're human, but how do we deal with those things? And not so much like conflict resolution, but fighting for peace, fighting for peace. In fact, if I were, if I were to title this message, that's what it'd be, fighting for peace. So if you have a Bible, go and open up to Philippians chapter four with me this morning. Philippians chapter four. Now, as we've been in this series, you know, we've, this is week five. We've been in this series in the book of Philippians. We've been doing it in Greenbrier as well. The main theme of our joyful series is partnership in the gospel. That's Paul's whole point in writing this book is he's talking about the partnership of the gospel, the unity of the church, how that brings great joy. So in chapter one, uh, Paul says, in the beginning, he says, I thank my God upon all remembrances of you. And we talked about how that's a very specific group of people. We see them in Acts chapter 16. It's Lydia. It's the, it's the, uh, the jailer. It's the, the formerly possessed slave girl, right? Very specific names, very specific people he's talking to. He says, I thank my God upon all remembrance of you. He goes on in, in chapter one, famous verse. You probably know it. Uh, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the point of that passage was... Um, that Paul was saying, you know what? It's better for me if I were to actually die. Now he's not depressed or suicidal. He's just saying, for me, it's better if I were to die because then I will be with Jesus, but it's actually better for you that I stay. And so I'm gonna stay. That's, that's kind of what he talked about there. So he put, he prioritizes the good of the church over his own good, his own priorities. And then in chapter two, he talks about uh, the goal being unity and how we do that is by living humbly how we each uh, individually seek humility, putting the goods of others over ourselves and adopting the very nature of Jesus in doing so, right? All that ringing a bell? And so that's where we've been, the major theme, partnership in the gospel. And so we're gonna pick that up this morning. And again, talking about fights. How do we have conflict, all right? So let's read Philippians chapter four, start in verse two with me. I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche. Now listen, whenever you come to Bible names, just say them with confidence and say them fast, all right? So I think that's how they're pronounced. Uh, I, I urge these two to agree in the Lord. Verse three, yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Now let's, let's pause there for just a minute and set up what's happening. There is a fight that's going on. There's this situation, and apparently this fight has kind of made the news. Paul's talking about it. This fight makes the Bible, right? So it's kind of a big, big deal, either in Philippi or at least in the church. And these two women, Iodia and Syntyche, which if you're, if you're you know, looking for baby names, I, let me put those in front of you, right? Everybody, everybody wants a unique name, so there you go. Yodia and Sintiki, they're in a fight. We don't know what they're fighting about. It doesn't really matter. What we do know is that they're both Christians. They're both Christians. Verse three, help these women who have contended for the gospel, whose names are in the book of life. Now, again, doesn't tell us what's going on, doesn't tell us what they're fighting about because apparently he, it doesn't matter. What, what does matter is that they seek out unity, that they put an end to the fight, right? 
What he cares about is, is unity because Paul is clearly teaching us that, that division in the church is contrary to the very nature of the church. It shouldn't be. It's absurd for us to declare as brothers and sisters unity together in heaven and then be uh, not united here on this earth, right? I've heard people <laughs> laugh about when uh, two Christians are, are at each other. It's like, yeah, but you're going to be in heaven one of these days together, you know, so it doesn't make much sense to be fighting, fighting now. And that's kind of what Paul's, Paul's talking about. But we also know just from life experience that conflict will arise. Like it will. It's inevitable. It will. So, so let's just kind of talk about that for a minute. Let's kind of get real for a minute. Although I am redeemed by Christ, I, I am saved by him, I've been stamped with the stamp of justification and righteousness before a holy God, I am still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. I'm still a part of this process of sanctification that we talked about last week. And so that means this. It means I still have a lot of failure that's still ahead of me. Okay? I still have a lot of failure that's ahead of me. But the gospel informs my mind, informs my thinking to let me know that, that when that failure comes, there's grace that's going to meet me there. Right? And so that then informs how I, I live and interact. And that gospel framework that's in my mind produces humility and grace in my mind. That I understand that I'm a sinner. I don't have it all figured out yet. It doesn't matter how many Bible studies I do, how many times I pray, how many mentors I have. I'm a sinner. I have failure ahead of me. And it brings humility and grace to me but it also helps me extend it outwardly because I understand that same thing is true for you, right? It's true for that person that I'm at odds with, that I'm fighting with. And so that's how a proper understanding of the gospel informs how we fight, how we engage conflict, that you're not perfect. You don't have it all figured out, but there's grace and there's forgiveness extended towards you. And so that frees us up to, to where we don't have to pretend like we're more than human, we're not some kind of super human. So if you're somebody who, who never has to apologize, who, who never does anything wrong, it's always somebody else who's done something wrong to you, I would submit to you that you may need to refresh yourself on what the gospel is. And I would also say this, as, as parents, if you don't ever find yourself sitting your children down and going, look, I, I kind of blew up. I messed up there. I would submit to you that you need to refresh yourself on the gospel because the truth is this, if you want to disciple your children, if you wanna show your children Jesus, show them you aren't perfect. Show them that you're not perfect and, and, and that you are not the Messiah of your house. Jesus is, right? And so we, we come to those situations with humility and with grace, understanding I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, we're all in this sanctification journey together. And so in this situation, this this thing that's going on in Philippi between these two ladies, Paul acknowledges that. Conflict is going to happen, but then he says this. He says, first, you guys get along, but then he says, church, help them. Like, church, help them get along. So again, he doesn't tell us what's happened. He doesn't tell us who's right. He doesn't pick a side. He doesn't choose a fighter. He, he just says, he says, get along and help them. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. He says in verse three, I, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women. 
Now that true partner there, it, it, it could be a specific person in the Greek, it could be a specific name that means true partner, or it could just be speaking universally to the church saying, true partners in the gospel, help them. Either way, the, the application point for us is the same. It's either be like so-and-so, or it's all of you, help them. But we, we are to help in these situations. But somewhere along the way, I think we've made um, this Christianity thing very individualistic. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, yeah, I'm a part of a church and things, but really this is my faith journey. And I'm, I'm on my faith journey and I happen to go to church with some of these people, but don't really get too involved in my business and stuff like that. But that's not what the church looks like in scripture. That's not what it looks like. It's, it's more of a partnership. Again, that's the whole point of the book of Philippians, that, that we are all on this sanctification journey together and, and your faith journey matters to me and my faith journey matters to you, right? That's why it's a big deal when you're not here. That's why it's a big deal when you miss your small group or you're, you're not involved. It's because we are all dependent upon one another to help one another, as Paul is talking about here, that we all have a role in playing. And so what do we do? How do we help? And, and Paul says, instead of fighting, how about you fight for peace? How about you fight for peace? And so that's what we're going to talk about in these next uh, few verses. And I just want to warn you as we, as we jump into these, you're probably going to recognize some of these verses, okay? They're familiar. You've heard of them. Um, I like to call them coffee cup verses. Um, you might see them on a coffee cup. Uh, you might see them like on a rustic piece of wood at Hobby Lobby that somebody's painted, right? And you hang them all over your house. That's these kind of verses. And so this week, as I was studying this, it was like, okay, I, I've heard all these. It kind of just sounds a little bit like uh, some brain vomit of, of Paul just kind of throwing out these random little tidbits, but it all works together. And so as we jump into this, man, this may feel a bit like, okay, that's a lot of information, or that's like drinking from a fire hydrant. To some extent, we're covering a lot of ground, but I want us to get through it because it, there's a real point and a real purpose to it, okay? So look with me in verse four. He says, okay, keep in mind, in light of the situation, these two women fighting with one another, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And then do, verse 9, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, out of that section, how many of you have heard one of those verses before? Maybe you've seen it crocheted at grandma's house in like a framed thing or something, rejoice in the Lord always, right? That's what I mean by coffee cup type verses. But these all work together in unison. They work together in unison to prove Paul's point that the goal is unity and unity depends on me. There's one thing that can screw up unity in the church and it's me and it's you, 
right? And so Paul says, the goal is unity. Unity depends on me. Now I want you to do this. This may be uncomfortable for you, I don't know, but turn to the person next to you and say, unity depends on me. Do that. There you go. That felt good, right? Unity depends, depends on me. And so we're gonna look four practical things that, that Paul tells us to do. And I wanna just encourage you, hang with me, all right? I know it's a lot, I know it's a lot of things, but I think there's a few scenarios that we may find ourselves in this morning. You may find yourself this morning in a fight, either with a spouse, maybe the ride to church this morning was rough, right? Maybe you're in a fight with your spouse, maybe you're in a fight with a friend or a church member or, or, or something like that. Maybe you're not in the fight, but your friends are in the fight. And you're kind of in a hard spot of choosing which side do I side with, right? I'm choose my fighter. Maybe you are kind of a peacekeeper person in the church. If you're a deacon, all right, you're a peacekeeper in the church. This is for you. If you're a small group leader, this is, this is for you, okay? So it affects all of us. So let's talk about these, these things here that Paul says we are to fight for peace. How do we do it? First, lift your eyes above the mess. Lift your eyes above the mess. Verse, verse four, in the midst of this situation that's going on with Iodia and Syntyche, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And I'm gonna say it again, rejoice. Rejoice and, and let your graciousness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is near. And that's so much more important than anything that's going on in this situation. See, when we allow our anger and our fighting to consume us, it's usually because our eyes are down here instead of on the Lord, right? We're focused horizontally instead of vertically. And Paul says that we are to focus vertically instead of thinking, oh man, they're the worst. Did you hear what they said? I can't believe that they would, they would do that. But again, remember, we're all sinners. None of us are perfect. People will let you down and you yourself will let people down. And so we elevate our gaze from the mess of the situation and everything that's going on and we take it to the Lord and we set it on the graciousness of God. Man, he has been so gracious to us, right? That, that the gospel informs us and lets us know that his graciousness, it, did you know Romans 5.10 calls us enemies of God? Like before, before you come to know him, you're an enemy of him. But his death and resurrection on your behalf, man, he extends grace to his enemies. And so we rejoice in that. We rejoice in that and we don't get bogged down in everything else that could, that could take our eyes off of the things that are most important. We are Christ followers. Christians means Christ followers, little Christ. And so we imitate him and his graciousness to us. The word gracious here in this passage actually means that you willingly yield and you choose to not retaliate, which is exactly what Jesus did, right? That's exactly what he did. And so we follow after him. And when Paul says, if you don't get bogged down in all of that, instead you rejoice in the Lord and you let your graciousness, graciousness be known to everyone, you're actually showing them, you're actually preaching the gospel to the world, okay? So we fight for peace by, by lifting our eyes, lifting our gaze above the mess. Secondly, by praying instead of worrying. Praying instead of worrying. We've heard that verse too, right? Don't worry about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We've, we've heard that. Do we understand though how much better 
things would be if our first in instinct in conflict was not to talk to other people about it, but was to talk to the Lord about it. Listen, when you talk to other people about something that doesn't involve them, that's called gossip. Stop that, right? Stop it. He says to pray about it. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, pray. Worry and anxiety, they form whenever our eyes are focused down here instead of up there. It doesn't make much sense at all to talk to, the, talk to somebody who has no influence in the situation instead of talking to the one who created everything, right? And so Paul says, take it to him in prayer. But I think if we're honest, some of us would probably say, I don't know, man, I, I, I just don't pray a lot. I'm, I'm not good at it. I don't know how to pray. And I think, I think the church in general, not Second Baptist necessarily, but I think the church in general has, has done a poor job of, of talking about prayer. And we, we've put rules on it and kind of here's how you do it and here's the magic formula for God to hear you and use this acronym, you know, uh, ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. If you don't do it in that order, then, man, I don't know. If you don't slap a in Jesus' name on the end of it, man, I just don't know. I think we've overcomplicated it. But at the end of the day, prayer is just talking to God, isn't it? It's just making your requests known to God, right? I've never had to teach my kids how to ask for things. They just, they just know how to do it. And, and when they're little, it's kind of, a, they have a certain way of asking for it. Usually it's just screaming at me, right? But, but eventually they learn and they get better at it. But it's just making your request known to God. And so in the context of this passage, in the context of what's going on here, of this conflict that's going on, let's imagine for a second that there is a fight with Bob, okay? There's a fight with Bob. And, and so we may come to that and go, okay, the Bible says we're to pray for it, so we figure out how to do this, and so we try and slap all of our Bible language on it, and oh God, you know, we beseech thee, <laughs> throw some King James in there for good measure, right? Like, God, you work the innermost parts of Bob together, and you know him, and I pray that you would put the robe of many colors, which represents your many blessings upon Bob this morning, and you know, and we can think that that's the way that we're supposed to come to him. <laughs> Instead, it might just be, God, Bob's being a real jerk but you already know that, so help him, right? And then you text Bob, and you're like, hey, bro, just prayed for you, <laughs> right? It can be that. It can be that, that we don't worry about anything, but in everything we pray. But the, but the kicker in this whole thing is he says, with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. He's not talking about the meal of turkey and, and dressing. He's saying that your attitude, that whenever you remember all of the ways that the Lord has worked before, won't that inform how you're thinking about whatever you're in now? That whenever you start to think, oh God, thank you for how you work that situation out. I remember, I'm thankful. That's gonna inform how you begin to pray now and the focus again will shift from you to God, okay? And so we fight for peace by, by lifting our eyes above the mess, by praying instead of worrying, and then finally by dwelling and doing dwelling and doing. Verse, verse 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, just, pure, lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, then dwell on these things. He gives kind of a list. 
And then he summarizes it by saying, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, then dwell on these things. The word dwell means to direct your attention. Direct your attention towards the good is what Paul's saying. Do you realize the power of what you allow your mind to sit on? Do you realize the power that that has in your life of of what you allow your mind to, to dwell on? If you're constantly thinking and believing the worst about everything and everyone, man, you're gonna be a very unhappy and unpleasant person to be around, right? But if you're constantly looking at, at someone and only dwelling on their flaws and on their, on their negative attributes, you're gonna be angry and bitter because here's the deal we've already talked about. We're all sinners. We're all flawed. And so if you wanted to, you could get together with your buddies and you could have something against that person and you could start to pick out all of their flaws and you could absolutely destroy that person. You can make it sound like they are the worst human being ever and you could just destroy them down to their bones by how much you're picking them apart, right? You could do that. But imagine how much your relationships and your conversations would be different if instead you decided to dwell on the good in that person. So if you're in a conversation and it turns into a let's bash that person who's not here to defend themselves party, right? And they're doing that and they're picking out all the flaws. What if in that situation you're like, ah, yeah, but she's a great cook. Ah, I I love him. He's such a generous guy, right? That conversation is going to (laughs) stop or it's going to move down the hallway and they're going to start talking about you, right? Either way, you've done what you're supposed to do. We allow our minds to dwell, not on, the, not on the negative, not on the bad, but on the, on the good. So we dwell on those things. And then he says, finally, in verse 9, to do. What is he saying? Do what you have learned. Do what you have received. Do what you have heard from me and seen in me. Paul, throughout this book, again, he's preaching unity. He's preaching partnership. He's saying, do it. Fight for peace. Fight for unity. And I think if, if we were to boil all of that down, everything that he's taught, everything that he's modeled, It would be Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. That's what it really all comes comes down to. Do what you've learned. Do what you've heard me say. Do what you've received. Do what you've seen me do myself. Live in humility. Think of others more highly than yourself. Don't look at your own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And by doing so, you're adopting the attitude of Christ. So that's what he says. One of the, one of the weird parts of, uh, of getting older is you start caring about your grass, right? Any, any guys with me? Yeah, okay, see. So whenever, you know, we moved into our neighborhood a couple of years ago, it's like this thing kind of settled over me where I just, I just had this urge inside of me that now I'm in some kind of competition with all the other rival dads on the street, that we got to get that yard looking a certain way. In our yard, whenever we moved, it was in pretty decent shape, but there were some weeds, and there were some things that needed to be taken care of, and if I just mowed over it, it looked good for a day or two, but weeds, they they grow faster and and uglier than the rest of the grass, right? And and so I, I started, I was on this battle against these weeds, and I would you know, I'd maybe try and spot spray some of them or I would go out and like try and pull them out of the yard, but man, that's backbreaking work and they just grow back, right? So I started attacking this. I started attacking the problem and, and I, 
I started putting some chemicals on there, like these pre-emergent type chemicals that, that would kill the seed um, of the weed and, and, and keep things from growing. I started putting what's called weed and feed on the yard and that, that kills the bad stuff and it fertilizes the good stuff, right? Started watering my yard regularly. Uh, started picking up all the kids' toys and keeping them off the grass so that it wouldn't kill the good, the good grass that I was trying to grow. I was actively working on this situation. I was trying to create an environment where the bad stuff wouldn't grow and the good stuff would grow. You with me? And so in the same way, with weeds, if you, if you let off the gas or you stop working to prevent them, they'll come back. And conflict will arise because we are sinful people. It will. But Paul is clear that we are to fight for peace and unity and it takes each one of us doing the work constantly. Don't take your foot off the gas or else the weeds will shoot up. That we're working, working together. We're setting our eyes above instead of on all the things that can consume our minds and divide us. We're praying with a thankful heart instead of worrying about whatever it is that's going on. We're thinking the best of one another instead of the worst. And we're actually living the way that we have been commanded and taught to live. And when we do those things, God makes a couple of amazing promises to us. He says in verse seven, he promises that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. It's not like Paul was just suggesting. He, he's not going, I don't know. Y'all got this situation. Maybe pray about it. See if that works. No, he's commanding it. And then the promise that follows it up is the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That imagery there is like military type, type imagery to say that whenever you pray instead of worry, it's like a military guard being set down over your life and it's watching over you and it's guarding you and it's protecting you from doubt and worry and anxiety. And then he says in verse nine, he says that the God of peace will be with you. That the God of peace will be with you. What a, what a beautiful promise, right? That whenever we live this way, and I told you, it's a lot. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant on, on how we're supposed to live this out. But when we do those things, it's like we're rolling out the red carpet for God's presence in our lives. And so that's what he encourages us to do. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.